Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Get Out of Rap. Today, I'm joined by Tina Squires, who is the Digital Channels Director at Interact CC. And I've been really looking forward to this one. Um, it's a topic that I know a lot of people are really interested in, um, but we're going to go and get to know Tina a bit first. But Tina, thanks very much for joining me. No, thank you. I'm, I'm so excited to be here. I really am. I was saying earlier, you're a bit of a mini celebrity, aren't you? And maybe not even so many in our community. So I feel in very good company. <laughs> that, that, that's very kind. I think it's um, the, the mediums that we have now. And actually, it's one of the things of the pandemic, isn't it? You kind of, you feel like you, you can know people and you, maybe you haven't even sort of physically met them. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's really interesting. So your digital channels director but you were just saying as well that also includes operations and um how have you got to this point yeah i think i'm probably one of your sort of well as a lot of us are i suppose like classic contact centers started i actually had to look this up beforehand before talking to you it's like i started my first contact center in 2000 so it's uh, it's been many years and you know started on the phones and team manager and project really? manager and operations manager and I've also done stints in HR and recruitment because and that's what's so great about contact centers isn't it because it's you've got all of these yeah. elements of business and and often there is an opportunity to try something so um, I did that for a bit and then it always kind of been in operations and um, yes, digital channels director, but it, I, I do look after the operations with the focus on, on digital communication, which I've pretty much exclusively done since 2015 and mostly, well, no, it's, it's been digital basically. So pandemic was great for, for digital communication or like it felt like it took a leap. Mm where we all thought it was going to go anyway like the world was kind of pushed into taking this leap um so you know if you want to get a silver lining of that whole thing I think that was um I think that was a good thing to be honest I think it like kickstart it well it accelerated progression of of digital then yeah I think from a consumer perspective I think we were we were there as an industry and ready for that, but kind of ooming and ahhing about whether our customers were ready for that leap into those channels. And and, and that's, I think, was the, the, the sort of push really where consumers are just like, yeah, this is how communication works now. It's perfectly acceptable, which was exciting when you're managing digital channels, really. Yeah. So, yeah. Can you remember um, your agent days? Yeah. Yeah, I'll be honest. I wasn't an agent for that long, but I but I can remember my my and it was sales. I'm still in sales. Always kind of done sales really. And um, for an outsourcer, I started the listening company in Richmond. Oh really? Yeah, uh, and that then became Circo, and I, yeah, and I, I worked for Sitel and Teleperformance and B, BPS Teleperformance in Wimbledon was kind of where. I started working with this management team. So even though I work in Trade CC at the moment, I started working with that management team in 2005. And that's still really very similar core team <laughs> today. <laughs> so Intract's only 10 years old, but we go back way longer than that. Which right, I guess you kind of know each other's working rhythms and yeah, yeah, no, we do. For better or for worse sometimes, but mostly for the better, you know, and we having worked that long uh, with each other, you know, we really, you really have to choose to work together. <laughs> you know, it's not, yeah. we're not just putting up with each other. Um, yeah, and I think that gives a lot of value to our uh, clients as well. So yeah, I like to think they see the benefit of that too, really. As someone who, you know, like you say, the journey is very similar to, to me, to a lot of people. Um, yeah. Was it was it planned in terms of like at what point did you kind of think I can I can have a good career here? 
Yeah, no, it absolutely wasn't planned. So, <laughs> so to my history as well is because people will be thinking this, what is her accent? Or it's, I'm Swedish. So I came over to the UK in 98 to, uh, I went to drama school, went to really? post-grad musical theatre course. Yes, I've been watching your dancing. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> dancing videos. Oh, I'm sorry. Brilliant. <laughs> no, I love it because I think that's what it's all about. Just like giving it a go and having fun and enjoying it, really. I would, I, you know, I took it very seriously then, but that's, you know, as you grow older and you kind of, I don't know, turn it on its head a bit. It's just, it's just about fun and enjoyment, isn't it? Do what you like and do what's fun. Well, I, so, my, I honestly, I doff my cap to, cap to you because... Anyone that can do it properly, I, I, it's another one of those things where you, if you go outside of your comfort zone, you understand so much more about, because our girls um, do it all the time and, and naturally you look at them and think they're amazing. But how, and they, when they've performed and we've done it at the same time, we've just had one routine, right? That we've just done. They do, they might do five or six. The amount of times I just couldn't remember what I was doing. It, you know, and you think we've rehearsed this so many times. Um, <laughs> how people can just retain it and do it, and the athleticism as well, because we, you know, after the warm up that was done, we were all struggling. <laughs> so um, that's like yeah. neuroplasticity as you get older as well, isn't it? Because I mean, I don't know about you, but like songs that I knew the lyrics of like in the 80s and 90s I still know the lyrics to those songs yeah but if yeah. I try to learn something now it's like no no that's just it just goes in might stay for a bit but it definitely goes out uh yeah it's well there was just one that the guys we I see a couple of them still and we're actually uh, there's going to be another performance is we're, we're going to do something different so another another charity event has asked us to come and perform it's getting a bit silly now um but there was one moment during rehearsals where I just couldn't get this step over um cross it's like I'd even forgotten my left and my right and it they must have concentrated on me for it felt like half an hour it's probably only five minutes yeah. with every everyone else stood around me and I was just thinking why can't I why can't I do this and um the guys I saw the other day actually still talk about it. Oh, do you remember you couldn't do that crossover? We just we wasted a whole rehearsal on you trying to trying to get something that is so everyone else found so simple. But it is it is funny. I think. Um, so you you came over from Sweden to do. Yes. So to go to drama school, I did go to drama school and I'd done lots of singing and uh, musical theatre type stuff really? in Sweden. But so it was kind of oh, the next step. But then, of course, find myself after drama school of needing a job, you know. Mm. Uh, so it was one of those, you know, I just walked into a high street agency and they got me this interview with this call center and and there I was. And, you know, it's it's a great place to work, isn't it? It's fun. Mm. I found a community really quickly, mm. uh, friends and, um, and, you know, I don't know, just people that seem to have, fun and they were fun people as well like maybe not the job is that inspiring as an agent all the time although I think that's gotten a lot better but it's it, it's the it's the people isn't it I mean we all say that we all know that isn't it it's the people and and I remember um our MD at the time Neville he came up to me one day and I said you're hooked I can tell you this this is it you're hooked and I just I don't know I do what he's talking about but obviously I get it now and um, yeah, and I, I mean, I've, I've left contact centers a couple of times thinking I was going to do something else, but yeah, I keep coming back. <laughs> yeah, that's brilliant. <laughs> and then I think it was also what I really liked about it in comparison to like trying to get acting jobs and that sort of thing was, oh, I get a steady paycheck and like, I know how much I'm going to earn. And, and then it, I, I really enjoyed um, management. Um, you know, became a team manager and just really enjoyed all aspects of of that. So it's just been going ever since, really. 
what, what is it about um, the management that you love so much? I do like people management. And uh, I can see as I've grown older as well what it is about it that I, that I, like, I just like to figure out what makes people tick. Mm. Um, you know, understanding that no one ever does anything bad just to do something bad or to mess with you you know there's something else driving that and trying to get under the hood of what that is um and uh, hence I think I I made this segue into HR uh as well because it was more about uh, people but then kind of realized that the HR is also a lot of uh, processes and doing the same thing over and over again whereas operations actually where, where it moves and went back into operation after a few years but um yeah it's just all about people and psychology to a certain extent I suppose that just keeps it fresh always keeps it fresh I couldn't agree more and I think this kind of being able to talk to younger leaders either through the podcast or just in um other events or methods is you kind of think oh if I could talk to the younger version of me and understand that that um, even even if one of your team members is bored that mm. boredom is telling you something about them it's telling you how you might need to engage them a bit more or help them get involved in other projects rather than just going why why is this you know seeing it as a problem rather than seeing it as a puzzle yeah and you get so many people as well who are, uh, you know, we know that a lot of people see contact centre jobs as sort of a stopgap or, and, and I think that's why it's so interesting to connect with them at that point as well. Like you said, like figuring out what it is that drives them where they want to go. And, uh, and a lot of people do find that they, there are aspects that they enjoy and they stay. And I think contact centres are great for people with ADHD so which, which now I know I have ADHD but so looking back you know that buzzy uh, changey is, is a word that my son's invented changey uh, like environment it. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's uh, it's just the bread and butter for someone with ADHD because it it yeah there's there's like dopamine hits all the time um, and there's little rewards all the time doing something good and or something changes or something new comes along or I can try something new or new people start and so it's it's um, uh, yeah I question myself for many many years what it is about it that that I feel so I don't know addicted to almost and and now I understand it better. <laughs> well well let, let's talk about that because I think as you just described that kind of, uh, you mentioned earlier, kind of, I, I loved kind of trying out HR and then coming back. Uh, and coming back is because you know no two days are going to be the same, that you're, you're going to be putting out different fires left, right and centre. You're going to be bouncing from one challenge to another, engaging with people. And that is addictive. But let's just, so um, I'm really interested in ADHD and you say that you you know you have it can you just yeah. talk about that kind of journey to yeah. getting to that point and thinking did, were you aware that you wanted to find out about that or what was it what was the prompt uh no I wasn't really aware I I mean I've I've always been that kind of searching person so always been into lots of self-development and learning about myself and taking various courses over the years and also like leaving contact centers to try something new so I became a nutrition coach in 2013 um it's uh, so always sort of been been searching I do have two uh, children and between them they have diagnoses of autism ADHD dyslexia anxiety and Tourette's which um and and I know that sounds a lot and it probably sounds like I'm one of those parents who just wants labels for my children. But no, no, we started in, in where a lot of people start where, you know, you don't, I don't want the label for my children. There's no point in going down that road because they'll just be labeled. Um, that's, um, 
become complete obsolete in my life. It's to me, that's not what it's about at all. So I've always kind of had that and also lots of other, uh, lots of ADHD and the sort of extended family. But even through that, I didn't really think that I had ADHD. That sort of came with, um, I, th I think also because um, traditionally we always uh, think about ADHD as naughty schoolboys who can't sit still. And um, I am a woman. <laughs> I did okay in school. I had, um, I've had many steady jobs. I've progressed in my jobs. I've, uh, you know, I'm happily married and, and it's so many things that don't resonate with that. But what led me to seek a diagnosis in the end was really uh, understanding this, the effort and struggle that I, I personally had to put in to, to do my job and to be good and balanced and um, and that started to break and in hindsight I can see why why it started to break at that time because it was um, I had you know it was just before the pandemic I had some problems with my heart uh, and I uh, it was it, it turned out to be okay but lots of uh, investigations and stuff and and I have a sort of tachycardia that uh, gets triggered by by something so I had to have either an ablation where they go into your heart or I had to uh, try and figure out what triggered the heart so um, not being a fan of unnecessary surgery if I didn't have to um, I tried to figure out what triggered it. So I, caffeine was a big one. And, uh, that, and that, but that was the only thing that doctors could really tell me that it was caffeine. So you know, that has helped other people. So I stopped caffeine, absolutely helped to reduce sugar and just generally um, try to live a bit healthier. And it made a massive difference to my heart. <laughs> uh, and then the pandemic hit. And so this change of environment and um, working in different ways. Um, and, and we were part of the COVID response as well. So it was very, very, very busy during that time. Um, and um, yeah, just, just struggling really. And in hindsight as well, I can see that, you know, I'm 48 now. So in reality, that was also uh, the beginning of perimenopause for me, which also has, the, there is a relevance to that. So all of that combined basically meant that my ADHD symptoms were just going through the roof, being able to focus and make myself do what I needed to do. Um, and it, I, like I said, I've had so much self-development coaching. I'd worked with a coach for three years. So I felt like I'd done everything I possibly mm. could to look after my mental health and mm. Um, uh, it was and, and still really struggling so that was the point really when I thought I wonder if there's something else and I uh, I don't know, actually know how I landed on an ADHD but I did go and see someone and they they diagnosed me uh, with not even mild ADHD it's like a moderate ADHD it's the uh, the inattentive combined with the hyperactivity which in old, older adults and particularly women doesn't necessarily look like hyperactivity. I don't need to go running every day um, or anything like that. It's more up here, the hyperactivity yeah. is it, it, my brain just spins and spins and spins and, and it's difficult to get it to stop. Um, so, so that is my story of how I kind of got there really. But since, then it's been such a good I mean it's just been up and up really just understanding that part of me what that is being able to research it understand ADHD and how my brain works it was as if someone said to me oh no 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 that manual isn't for your brain. Here's the manual for your brain. You've been reading the wrong manual all your life. And, and 
yeah, it, it was, um, so it was very eye-opening and it's just been, um, been great ever since really. It's been, it's, it's captivating to, to, to listen um, to you and that kind of whole uh, journey to getting to understand. Um, and of course, I think as well as uh, issues with the heart and, and things like that, you were also like all of us living through, if you remember the kind of lockdown one, as we now all call it, yeah. There, there was a, there was a, there was a tangible kind of fear that we all had because we we weren't sure what this was what this was going to be like. So I imagine yeah. that I imagine that was a factor. But now, from having the um, diagnosis and how how did they how did they do that? What what was the what was the sort of process of? Yeah, I, I'll explain. I, I should tie in the reason why I mentioned uh, with the heart and the perimenopause is because what I now know is that uh, caffeine is a is a great way of self-medicate for somebody with ADHD. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody that drinks a lot of caffeine have ADHD. So uh, there's no you don't have to run down that rabbit hole. But um it, it certainly helped me. And I have always been known as somebody who drinks a lot of caffeine. So then having Thanks. to stop the caffeine in relation to the heart issues wasn't helping me. And then with um, perimenopause, your estrogen drops. And estrogen is kind of a, it, it helps the dopamine that you need in your brain to focus. And, and dopamine is basically the thing that, um, that affects ADHD basically not not either not having enough dopamine or not um having a connect in a, in a way that it wouldn't a neurotypical person which is why that you know now I understand it I can see how why it was getting worse yes it was the pandemic and the change and the environment and all that's happening but it's also the fact that I, I didn't drink caffeine anymore and and my estrogen was dropping so it's actually not an unusual time uh, even, even though it's very late in life for people to get the diagnosis because something is kind of all of a sudden changing and, and not working as well as it did before. So how did I get um, diagnosed? So uh, with ADHD, how they, they use the, the DSM-5, which is, uh, I think they use for a lot of mental health type conditions, um, psychiatrists use, and um, you, with ADHD, and we did this with my son as well, you have to fill in lots of different forms so to tell them how you are this questionnaires basically um, about how you're doing in lots of different areas but importantly as well if you are a child then they do it the school environment does it so teachers do it you do it at home uh, and any other sort of if they've got any therapist or anything they're working with so you get like a, a, a view from different people and how you're perceived but they do that as an adult as well. So my husband had to fill one in. My mum had to fill one in. Um, and that's be also because ADHD isn't something that you catch or develop. You either kind of have it and then you would have had it as a child as well um, or, or you don't kind of thing. And you can, um, well, we say you can grow out of it. You, you don't grow out of it, but you learn to cope with it, which is probably why some people um, you know, grow out of it. That's probably, it's not the, the right expression for it. So, so that was the first step. And then you, you give that to, to them. And then I think I had a, a two hour kind of conversation about, um, I mean, I say conversation is obviously, you know, he knew what he was doing and where he was yeah. going about how I was um, in my childhood and how I reacted to things and how, I process things and how I've got in my life. And I was really worried about that because I knew I hadn't done that badly. I say I was worried about it as in, obviously I wasn't, you know, I wasn't attached either way where I had it or not. I just, if I did, I wanted to know. Um, but I, I definitely come full circle before I even got to the appointment thinking, I don't have it. Like I filled in those questionnaires, there, there's no way. But that's why they're having the conversation. You know, that's why we're having a two-hour conversation about how it was for you because uh, how you deal with those things even if you've dealt with them and the amount of struggle and effort that it took you 
has a bearing. He also did a really quite interesting test um, where basically gave me an, I think it was an iPod, but like a tablet type thing. And there were just these uh, triangles and circles in different colors kind of flashing by for 20 minutes, which is like death for a person with ADHD. And every time a triangle or a circle was exactly the same shape and um, color, you had to click. And, and it is sort of, uh, he told me afterwards, it's some sort of Swedish tests or Swedish scientists that put this together. It is kind of genius because it is, that is how your brain works. It's like you start doing it and you're like, yeah, I got this. And you're yeah. clicking away. And yeah. after a while you're like, honestly, I honestly cannot remember. And I scored <laughs> so badly on this <laughs> thing. Uh, yeah. So, um, but yeah, that's um, broadly how I was diagnosed. And then you, you get that diagnosis. What, how did that feel? Oh, it was such a relief, actually. No idea that I was carrying so much shame. <laughs> it was shame really? that came off. Yeah, it was um, because there's a, there was an element of masking, I think, even though, mm. you know, I feel really lucky to work with the people I work with and I've done it for so long. So a lot of the things that I do and how I am at work is it's just, that's just how I am. And it's just accepted. They know me, I know them, you know, we all have our quirks at the end of the day. So, mm. but it was, um, I, I think it was, the, the shame was kind of just letting go of the things that, I don't know, you just feel bad about, like, people that get in contact that you never respond to and then you realize two months later that you just completely forgot and um it's all those little things that just makes you feel like you're a bad person so I came out just thinking ah I'm not a bad person I'm not lazy I'm not you know yeah in, in, not not intelligent or something it's just not as an excuse, just more as a, oh, I get it now. I get why yeah. I am like this. Understanding. And yeah. So, and, and accepting. It's like, oh, it just, it just makes sense. It was a relief. It was an absolute relief for me. And I, uh, and for that, I am incredibly grateful. And then, of course, from then, from then on, it just gives you this ability to kind of research and look into um, all right, what? How can I work now? Sorry, dog. Oh no! From well, home. this this thing behind me, he, he's going to come in at some point. So, yeah, I completely understand. Do you? Um, as I said at the outset, I'm. This is a subject I'm really, really interested in because many people, and I, I'm like you. I've worked with people um, for some time, and uh, they they will often say they think I have it. Um, and that kind of, you, you mentioned something earlier about doing the, one of the tests and it was de like death to someone with ADHD yeah. in, the day, in a day job with BPA quality. Naturally, a lot of what we do is quality-based and um, everything has to be perfect. And sometimes it can mean tasks where we're together as a group going through a lot of data or text or and I am a nightmare in those sessions and I, and I know I am because it is so hard to stay present for, for long enough to be a, an asset at that moment because it is as you said their death it feels like torture some of those sessions <laughs> yeah um, because that's not and like you I think our backgrounds are very similar the the buzz of operations and knowing it's not that um, it, there isn't attention to detail. It's just that I feel like I'm at my best when I'm doing lots of things at once, you know, and, and again, that's another thing that kind of terminology that people have used kind of um, what's it, Jack of all trades, master of none. Yep. And that I can get very enthusiastic about certain projects and I'm burned very brightly on them. 
and then like toad of toad hall in wind of the willows you know i go from hot air balloons to motor cars in, in in a very quick space of time and it can be exhausting for people um around me so it's definitely a subject that uh, there's a guy on tiktok actually who shares um things that if to do and things that might help and it but he, what importantly what i really like he does and it'd be great to get your view on it is you mentioned it then he shares for the people around you what you know things that you they can help with or things that um are a manifestation of adhd rather than and like you say it's not an excuse it's just an understanding isn't yeah. it it's it's we've become yeah. there is more understanding yeah yeah no it is and, and it's funny you should mention tiktok because it is it's come out as like a really good place for where people have realized that they have adhd or like they go and 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 find um go and seek a diagnosis and um there is an influx on that it is actually really difficult to get an appointment for an adhd assessment um both with the nhs and privately at the moment and um there it, it, i mean if you think about it i don't know how old you are martin but when i was we're young, the same age actually <laughs> oh are we there yeah you go. yeah well um well as a woman uh, when we were young i would not have fitted in the diagnostic criteria for adhd so i think you had to be under 12 and you have to be a boy to be wow. uh, diagnosed with adhd so unsurprisingly i suppose that's now going to have a, a knock-on effect as the awareness grows mm. about what it is and how it works and um so the uh that uh, now I'm having an ADHD moment in losing what you've asked me. What did you um, ask me? <laughs> it was just, well, it, oh, I about helping, how others can help yes, you in that sort yeah. of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, that's been really interesting because I, I came out, although it was a relief uh, getting diagnosed, uh, and I knew I wanted to share it, I was a little bit like, well, how do I share it? Um, and I, I wanted also to let my workplace know because I I wanted to be open about it and I wanted to be you know this is also what the ADHD can look like because I know that people don't associate um, necessarily women my age with ADHD um, but um, I wasn't sure how and like I, I needed to get the how and the why clear for myself really um, I suppose the, the why was because I wanted to be able to share it, but the how was, what I realized actually was that I had already shared a lot with them in terms of what I needed and how I needed to work. Again, because we'd worked together for so long, um, I have a, a, a problem with figures. Like I, I get figures and I can get quite excited about hitting targets and that sort of thing. But oh my god having to like create budgets and and i say this because my finance director would laugh with me at this point <laughs> at this point he'd laugh with me yeah. um you know it, it i i find it a nightmare and and i have to get so engrossed in the figures to be able to do it and as soon as i come out and then you ask me a question about it then i'm like i don't know unless i i kind of get in to it again um and that is really hard so um what i realized when i when i, when I kind of thought okay well, what am i actually asking for here because i've already got like i sit where i need to sit in in the contact center i have a laptop that works for me it's just tools and things like that that just works for me i've, I've just always um asked for anyway because you do as a person you you ideally yeah. you 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 are in an environment where you can ask for what works for you and you regardless of what you have or may not have you, you know what works for you and hopefully you you're in an environment where you can ask for it and um but with the figure thing um i thought to myself this is a real struggle like um and i can't not do it you know i'm not in a position where because that just puts me at a completely different level that I didn't want to be at, right? I, I like the level I'm at. 
So I, I, as I was learning more about it, I also uh, learned uh, about different sort of learning modalities, which we call, you know, these, what do we call them? Like how you um, take in you information. take on knowledge and just yeah. different learning styles. and Learning styles, that's mm. the one. But with ADHD, you know, we're talking about, I think it's like nine different type of modalities and different modalities can work in different situations and in combination with each other. So it felt a bit more um, accessible to me. And um, you're not going to be surprised to hear this. I am a um, verbal processor. (laughs) (laughs) Hence conversations like this are not particularly difficult, although it might also you know, I, I can easily go off in tangents because I'm a verbal processor, because I'll be like, oh, but mm, over yes. here, oh, oh yeah, hang yeah. On, I had a thought. Uh, so, so with the figures, what I did was, you know, what would really help me is, great, send me the figures when they come out and what have you, and then send me any questions as you would normally do, but then I'll book a half an hour meeting and we'll talk through it. And then that sort of thing, that is the kind of adjustments really that that um, I think would help people. I mean, regardless, again, of, of any neurodiversity, just, you know, figure out what works for you when you are really, when you're finding yourself really struggle with something. We all have that diagnosis or no diagnosis. And um, and of course, you know, that wasn't taking any extra time or anything for anybody. It was just like, okay, that works. Um, and uh, I, I see this with people as well when they sort of think, oh, should I tell my employer that I've got, um, you know, any sort of neurodiversity? Again, kind of back to the label conversation. Um, you know, I don't want the label. Uh, and having had, um, have a, I have a good HR understanding as well. The simple answer is really if you want adjustments at work because you have a neurodiversity, you need to declare it. If you want, um, but there is another way to go around it. You, firstly, also, you don't have to declare it. Like if it says in a, in a recruitment form or something, you don't actually have to declare it. Um, but if you want support be, because of that, then you, you would need to declare it. Um, but I think a, a very powerful place to come from as well, if you want support is to kind of say, okay, I have ADHD, so what works for me? Or this is how my brain works. Because we're also, we're not the same, right? Even if we have the same label, we're, we're not the same. Um, I, I like this analogy when describing any kind of neurodiversity. And I had this a lot with my son as well with his autism, because he has the, um, you know they call it high functioning they call it Asperger's and everyone is having well you know people are having debates about whether that's correct or is there a high low all this stuff and I am not passionately engaging in that because I think it is um, it's a really difficult subject and I think for people who are not even in that space it's even harder because you worry about what's right and am I going to offend somebody what have you but um that was a tangent what I was going to say was if you all of this new diversity if you think about it as a sort of music mixing board I have all these levers going up and down and and the twirly bits and and it's a bit like that you have all of the different symptoms of Mm. or that you might uh, have in terms of emotional um you know you get really overwhelmed with noise or um easily stressed or you know hyperactive impulsive difficult to focus whatever it is everyone has them kind of turned up or down and tweaked in different ways and different noises or you know in different environments ADHD in particular but I'd say autism as well is very situationally variable so there will be environments where you can absolutely focus. I don't know about you, but like if I go to a conference and people are doing presentations, I love sitting in those environments, just like soak it up. But in an online webinar, 
I will struggle to just yeah. keep listening. Yeah. Because there's so much else. And what I've actually learned about myself is if I'm if I have to sit and listen to something, is I do need to do something else at the same time. Mm. So yeah. I might sit and I don't know, paint my nails or some people yeah. knit or like listen to podcasts, love listening to podcasts, but I can't just sit and listen. I'll have to do I'll do gardening normally. Yeah. Gardening or traveling uh, is when I listen to podcasts. And you just learn these things about yourself. Well, I have learned, I've got about three different things that I have to uh-huh. do with all the time. You know, and just I've taken the color off these magnet balls just because I've used them in my hands. So that's my son's favorites, is those magnets. I like yeah. them as well. But they do funny things, they do feel funny in your hands. Yeah. But that's kind of the uh, you hit the nail on the head. I, I, I love being at a a conference but the last two years has certainly been a challenge staying engaged on on virtual um conferences and it just earlier on something you said part of I cheered inside just hearing the thing about figures because you know the same sort of career journey as you um as you get more senior well I think actually even as a team leader you you get bombarded we're we're awash with numbers aren't we in contact centers yeah. We, have, we have measurements and data for everything. And it's not that I'm averse to data, but I've realised where, where I work best is when I work closely with someone who not only loves the numbers, but that can explain them to me in a way. They make them come alive. Yeah, that kind of can give me both headlines and also areas where I do need to get a bit more involved. Because like you, in terms of, generating it myself and putting it in a in a way that other people that like numbers would understand is a is a herculean sort of task i i feel like i have to be in a a a white room with not a single other thing in there like and just know that it's going to be a bit of a battle between me and my brain to to get there and and like i say where i work best is someone else that can go right, I've done it, here's what it is, here's what it's telling us, what do you think? Yeah. Um, and can we talk about it? Yeah, so yeah. when you were explaining that, I loved hearing that. It's funny because the data is exciting, I think, mm. because it shows us so many things, it's insight and it's, you see new things and that's what lights us up, I think. But yeah, it is it is processing that and I, I completely relate. What I do now, instead of trying to like make myself do stuff or like sterilize my room and just like, oh, I'm just going to do this because that is hard is because I know I'm a verbal processor. So if I'm stuck on something, I try and think to myself, oh, well, who do I, who can I talk to about this? It might just be five, 10 minutes, but that will just help me process what it is I need to process you know I don't really know what I need to process but I know I need to talk about it I know that's how I get on so I um you know I call somebody and uh, you know it might be five ten minutes and then I'm just like I've gained some clarity I mean I could try and talk out loud I mean, I've done that a few times it's not quite the same but you know it's better that certainly works better for me than the sort of trying to create a sterile environment I do have this is one of my best tools that I keep in my desk which is a time timer I don't know why it's called time timer I bought it for my son he never uses it I use it all the time <laughs> and it's just like a visual it's like yeah. a basic kitchen timer but it's visual and then I time box things so okay I'm going to focus on this now and it's rarely more than 20 minutes because after that I just I forget that it's on and whatnot so and that's that's what it's been like kind of understanding what I have learning about it learning about myself you know my manual and finding different ways which is why it's just been that's why I love talking about it it's been such a great journey I'm still loving it um I didn't think there was this much more to learn about myself at this age and there is and it's great isn't that lovely though yeah isn't that brilliant (laughs) it really is you know when you um, when you say time boxing, can you just explain what that is and when you when you do it? Yeah, so like you said earlier, you know, like to do lots of different things, multitask, and and uh, yeah, that sort of 
jack of all trades, master of none. So, and that's how I naturally would work on a daily basis, you know, 20, 30 tabs open in, in Chrome and several Teams conversations going on, emails pinging and this, that and the other. Um, and I like that because that stimulates my brain, but I don't get done what I need to get done. So the things on the list that are really important that might not be pinging at me don't naturally get done unless I make an effort. Um, so I'm much stricter these days in, in the morning to kind of look at my lists and prioritize the things I've got to do, uh, try and put them in my calendar. And then I, when I do them, I sort of look at it and go, okay, it's going to take this long. And I might, you know, if it's going to take an hour, I might not put a timer on an hour because I know I will struggle with the whole hour. So I might break it up into two. So I do half an hour and then uh, I get a cup of tea and then I go back and do another half an hour. But it, it just helps me uh, mentally tell myself, no, this is what I'm doing now. Sometimes I even put up a post-it or I've got two screens on one screen. I will literally put what it is I'm doing, what I'm working on. Uh, so that if I get distracted, it's there. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm doing that. And it just, yeah, it just helps me get those head down tasks done. That's what I call them. Like the ones I need to focus on that aren't, because the things that are pinging at me are bound to give attention, but that's not always the most important thing, right? So, yeah. If you think about it, the way our world is, we're com we're, we have a handheld computer that begs for our attention through notifications, through, you know, everything is designed to try and attract our attention. Yeah, and that's uh, drugs to, to uh, a person with ADHD, because it, it's just, it's dopamine hits every time, you know, something pings, it's like, oh, something happened, oh, might be exciting. So I've, I've also consciously, taking off a lot of pings um i'm very selective of what's allowed to ping at me uh, and at what times a day they're allowed to ping at me um yeah and so that's it, and it also explains to me like why i like knowing i have the adhd explains to me why i love those things to ping at me why i get so excited but also why it doesn't work for me because i understand yeah. how my brain works and then i can organize myself more consciously around that have so, there been any other since the um since understanding you have it is there have there ever been any other sort of big changes that you've made or worked on um yes yes uh time blindness is another big one for for most people in ADHD, i'd say so uh, i uh, you know a lot of people say, oh, I'm always late. That, that is not me. I, I don't like being on late, and I, I'm on, but I'm always last minute. I will be working to the wire always. Um, and I mean, don't get me wrong. I knew that about myself beforehand, but I had taken it as, it was either kind of beating myself up about it senseless all the time or just accepting it. So I had accepted that already beforehand. Now it's like, okay, I am a last minute person. It's um, it's because my my brain kicks into a different mode when it's coming up to that deadline. I kind of need that deadline sometimes to to focus on that. So it's it's finding different ways of trying to um, force that at different stages. So you know that might require more planning in terms of if I have a bigger task to do. Um, I've worked that back into smaller stages. So I get little deadlines. And because I can see it going all the way to the actual deadline, I can also see that I, I won't be able to get there unless I do all these little things. So um, it's less uh, kind of working in the evening type thing. And uh, yeah, because that's that's what I used to tell myself was like, that's I need to work when my my brain kicks in and works and sometimes that's very much when the rest of the world turns off you know I can I I've, I have had days in the past where I've just sat and I feel like I'm in a control center 
and I'm just managing all the incoming and I'm, I'm responding and then I get to sort of 5 30 and I go oh great now I can start working I mean we've all been there yeah. um, and sometimes that is because that's how your day goes but sometimes as well that's because I'm allowing that part of my brain to just kind of take over and um, rather than trying to manage it during work hours so that's changed as well um yeah i'll i'll share if i think th there will be other things I'm just... it's funny isn't it because as um later on in later on in life as i've got uh, maybe through doing the podcast and things like that you get asked to go and speak and and things like that and there's something that i realized about myself and i wonder what you think about this is i will know i will kind of like seek out the adrenaline of leaving it. Um, I can remember I did a, a talk at the um, the British Library about quality. So it's about a subject I know, right? Yeah. And uh, the team that I work with had prepared a lovely presentation and lots of notes. And I thought, right, I, I need to do this justice. So I spent a lot of time reading the notes and and. As I went to walk on the stage, I purposefully just put them on the floor and just uh, between my chair and walking onto the stage, I decided I'm just going to wing it. And I'm saying wing it demeans it a bit because I, I just thought, no, I can't. I can't go through the prepared notes. Yeah. I'm just going to I'm just going to get on there and see what happens. And it was it was both terrifying, but also I was really happy about it. It was like kind of addictive um and I really enjoyed it and I did I think I did a good job up there but and I don't want people listening to this think I don't I don't prepare I do prepare <laughs> but I yeah. also know I'm I'm at my best if I do kind of leave it <laughs> yeah but it's allowing yourself to be in the moment mm. with and taking it all in which is a rush yes but that doesn't mean that you necessarily threw it out the window right because you did the preparation and it's in here but you might not need to look at your notes and that that's very much what it's like for me as well actually I like to prepare and put it all almost like that write scripts for myself but I don't then use it necessarily yeah um so I also just like to to be in the conversation and um yeah and that's um I was thinking about this because I was trying to figure out what you might ask me and um i was thinking about like how what can employers do to um support their neurodiverse community and it it is tricky because a lot of people also don't want to say it right so how do you support people if they don't even if they don't say anything and also and or like me like they don't even know they have something it, it, how do you provide that environment, you know, the right type of environment? And I've landed on uh, a, a coaching culture because it is just, it's that staying in inquiry and, and really just, you know, regardless of what's going on um, and what diagnosis they may or may not have, a coaching culture just allows you to, to yeah, stay in that inquiry, asking people how they're doing, what they're struggling with, how, what systems have they got in place that they know work, and how can we? Um, because also, I, I, I don't think um, it is. You know, I, I don't think you can go to an employer and say, "Oh, I've got ADHD. You have to help me because I." Have, I'm neurodiverse and that's your responsibility well you can but you know you wouldn't get the best out of it what you want to try and do is actually yeah do understand yourself like and we're all different right so if you understand yourself what it is that helps you um share that and again you can do that whether you have a diagnosis or not it's like I work best if I sit uh, you know if I don't sit in the where everybody else walks because I get distracted really easily you can say that without saying yeah. I have ADHD uh, and you can be that without having ADHD as well right um so 
you, but it's just a lot easier for an employer then to support you with that request because it's like clear you will get more out of me mm. if I don't sit here and I get distracted all the time um, and it's it's requests uh, and conversations like that for any level you know it doesn't have to be HR mm. you know mm. your team mm. manager or line manager it, it, having those coaching inquiry type conversations where you just understand each other and, and how someone works best because that's all it's about really mm -hmm. and that's really it's really insightful and I wonder if actually the pandemic has helped companies get sort of gain more of that that culture because everyone's had to accommodate individuals and their individual setup and how they work and companies have become far more inquisitive about what's best for you is, is working from home best is when if coming back to the office is better what is it about your setup that you like don't like and I think that's we all benefit from that because that kind of how do you get the best out of people um, how do you it's not just about motivation it's also accommodating as we know more about um, neuroscience and neurodiversity accommodating how best to um, support their their brains and I know we um, at BPA have had we have a lot of people um, with autism and it's you'll be surprised at some of the accommodations that we've made and they're not massive and and people feel uh, I think cared for kind of respected that you know if we know it used to be when we were in the office we would give people pre-warning about fire alarms and they didn't have to necessarily take part. And there were different things that we did for different people. Um, all it takes is a little bit of effort, I think, on the part of the company to be inquiring, as you say, and to have that, yeah. that coaching culture because coaching at all levels, whether it's team leader to agent, you should be finding out about the person that you're coaching, how they work best, how do you help them do that? How do you help the uh, set up the right environment for them I think it's what we should all be doing mm. naturally but it probably it probably isn't because we've liked to have been getting a lot of people to work efficiently in a certain way doesn't yeah. lend itself naturally I think to accommodating everybody's different ways of working but it can be done and yeah. I wonder if the pandemic has kind of shown us we can do that mm. yeah I think so and it isn't necessarily about um you know someone saying I need this you know when you're having a conversation about what works best and they say well this has worked what I like about coaching conversations is that it's you're not actually providing them with answers you you know people have the answers whether they know they have them or not so it's just about asking the questions and the open questions and keep inquiring and they will share with you what works for them what has worked in the past or you know how what would make a difference that's not to say that just because they come out with that as well you can always do it exactly like they need but you know if you keep inquiring you'll find elements within that that you probably can support with and um but don't get me wrong like with we've when somebody ha, if they have ADHD and they have a massive issue with timekeeping um you can't in a contact center with most things you, you can't be late right yeah. so we, we can talk about systems of of time management but at the end of the day it, yeah you know they have to those systems have to work and you have to be on time or that's it's not I think that's reasonable. It may, might not be the, the, the right environment mm. or, or not the right job because for this job you have to be on time. But, you know, it's a contact center. It's probably another job where you can have more flexibility potentially. But, you know, th there are scenarios like that as well, of course. So, but, but I think that type of culture is uh, you can't fail, really. I just ask you about, you know, after the um diagnosis what did your husband and um mum say um my my husband wasn't particularly surprised 
think. But what's great also is that he's just like, well, you know, you're still you and this is who you are. And and um, and I think he's he's just also witnessed the kind of up and up and and how well it works for me and how I'm happier. I am happier, I'm more content, I am um, and that helps the whole family, right? Happy yeah. mum, happy family. That's yes. just how yeah. it works. <laughs> so I think everyone has benefited from that. I think my mum um, was, um, she didn't think I had ADHD. Um, not as a, you know, oh, I don't think you have it type thing. But, you know, when we had a conversation about it beforehand, when we were filling in the questionnaires, she she said she, she didn't think that was it. And I said, oh, I really don't know either. I don't feel it with the questionnaires. But, you know, hey, ho, I'm doing it now. So let's see what happens. And when she found out, I think her initial reaction was probably to feel a bit guilty, thinking that, um, uh, you know, she should have seen or done something differently. I have personally never felt like that. I think the reason, and I have shared this with her extensively since, because I don't want her to feel like that. And I don't think there's any need to feel like that. I think um, the reason I have um, done as well as I think I have, is because they, both my parents just allowed me to do the things that really worked for me. So very early on at school, for example, I wanted to do singing. So I went to music school and they were like, great, you wanted to sing and you should sing, that's fine. There was never this kind of, oh, you've got to become a doctor, a lawyer, or, you know, something. But if they had pushed me into that, that would have been a very, very different experience of growing up. But instead, it was always very organic uh, things that I wanted to do that they always supported. And I can see now I steered towards the music and dance. And then I think I took French at some point and that wasn't working out. So I wanted to swap to home economics and and I, I did, and it was supported. And, but it, it was all those little things that just made it work. And when I finished college, um, I, I never considered university. It just wasn't for me, but it was also never a, you know, oh, it was not a disappointment on anyone's behalf, mine or anybody else, that I didn't go to university. It's just, it wasn't me. I went on to do more drama school, and I started working very early on. You know, I always worked I worked a lot of restaurants when I was younger it's another great environment for someone to to be in and and I was performing and singing and stuff was it was great you know I can really see how I organically navigated with my brain through all of these things and so and and that's 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 I've gone back and thanked her and my dad for that you know because that's really helped is it and in terms of um, the, you know this has been this has been brilliant and I know people will benefit from this but has it also been important for you to find ways to share um, your experience? It's, it feels that way just in our interactions and even getting to this point that it's been it's something you're passionate about. It's something that you want to talk about and I think that's brilliant. What, how did that sort of manifest itself afterwards as well in terms of how good you felt afterwards yeah that's really perceptive and you're right yeah I am I do love to talk about it and I do love to share it I think I mean part of me it's almost like this performance gene that comes through like I always love talking about digital communication as well right and I I would welcome a a, a talk or a round table or something like that like I I love doing it um but I uh I don't uh, I don't know right it's um with this so a I like talking uh and But yeah, it is important for me to share this. I think it is because I don't present as your typical neurodiverse person um, at my age or as a woman. And 
and I want to represent that because I actually think that especially in the corporate world I think there's a lot of us and I don't think we even consider it as an option because I think we think the norm is it's it's hard it's a struggle it's stressful sometimes we've got a lot to do um and you have to work a lot of hours and and you get stressed and what have you and I think in the in the context of kind of appreciating our mental health and who we are as people I know there are a segment of people out there who are undiagnosed who can feel a lot better about themselves happier more content and not it's this like not beating yourself up for stuff that is just part of who you are not using it as an excuse therefore but just it allows that um happiness and contentment i just want that for as many people as possible i think that's brilliant you've you're going to have helped lots and lots of um people and um thank you very much for for sharing it's been really insightful um and i'm sure are, are people going to be okay to contact you if they want to yeah i was going to say and... as i love talking about it absolutely contact hook me up on um on linkedin um if employers want me to come and talk to them or hr or their employers or something i you know i don't know what that would look like but i know i'd be i'd love to do it um from a neurodiversity standpoint so i'm always happy to to have a conversation so absolutely brilliant tina spires thank you so much for coming on it's been brilliant thank you <laughs> Oh,